Learning English helps me to talk about crime. SBS acknowledges the traditional custodians of country and their connections and continuous care for the skies, lands and waterways throughout Australia. Hi, my name is Josipa and I need to come clean about something. That is, I need to confess, admit the truth about something that I've been keeping secret. Okay, here it is. I hope you won't judge me, but I'm a total crime buff. That is, I absolutely love anything to do with crime fiction. I devour crime shows, podcasts and books like a detective on a mission. One thing I find really interesting about true crime is how it attracts our attention with its dark and disturbing nature. How can we experience pleasure while watching something dreadful? And why are we so curious about it? Okay, picture this. I'm in my living room surrounded by evidence boards, photographs and case files, determined to solve a mystery. It's like a thrilling puzzle that I can't resist. The suspense, the hunt for hidden clues, putting together timelines, identifying suspects. It's an adrenaline rush that keeps me hooked. And I wonder, are there really human bodies buried inside the Sydney Harbour Bridge? There were some quite gruesomely decapitations, um, some falls from the top of the bridge, some loss of limbs, etc. Um, but the story goes that there were three unreported deaths. That was Emily, our true crime expert who is going to spill the beans on Sydney's grim past. Now, let's turn this episode into an exciting investigation. We can analyze secret vocabulary, hear thrilling, exciting dialogues, and analyze thought-provoking crime scenarios. Thought-provoking, that's another useful word when talking about true crime. It means something that makes you think deeply. Thought-provoking. Anyway, my partners in crime are Alan and Claire. Let's hear what they have for us today. Have you ever witnessed a crime? Thankfully, no. But I had a close call when I started working for that company that went bust. I remember. Someone fessed up, right? Yes. Once the accountant who was cooking the books got caught, he started singing about the company's fraudulent activities. So it was an open and shut case for the authorities in the end. It looks like Alan almost witnessed a white-collar crime. A white-collar crime is a non-violent financial or professional crime. And to witness something means to see or observe something. I said almost witnessed because Alan said... I had a close call when I started working for that company that went bust. If a company goes bust, it is forced to close because it is financially unsuccessful. Alan also said he had a close call. So, if you narrowly avoid something negative, you can say... I had a close call. You might use this if you nearly have a car accident or any other time you avoid something bad happening. I remember. Someone fessed up, right? If you fess up to something, you admit that you have done something wrong. Yes. Once the accountant who was cooking the books got caught, he started singing about the company's fraudulent activities. So it was an open and shut case for the authorities in the end. There's a lot going on in this sentence. Let's break it into three parts. Once the accountant who was cooking the books got caught, 
If someone is cooking the books, it means they're using dishonest accounting tricks to falsely report their financial position. He started singing about the company's fraudulent activities. Fraudulent activities are dishonest and deceptive actions someone does to mislead others for personal gain or profit. To sing in a crime context means to confess or inform on someone or something. So the accountant was doing something dodgy. That's an informal word for dishonest. And then he started singing about it. And so... So... It was an open and shut case for the authorities in the end. An open and shut case is a case where all the facts are clear and obvious. For example, if a burglar is caught in the act of robbing a house, then it is clear that they are guilty and you could say... It's an open and shut case. From unsolved cases that have confused authorities for years, to high-profile trials that have gripped the nation, True crime stories, well, they fascinate me. I just love to binge on intriguing true crime series. I can spend hours and hours watching and reading and listening. And you? Do you like to binge? Ellen and Claire do, right? I really feel let down by crime stories where the guilty people get off scot-free. If something lets you down, it's disappointing. And to get off scot-free means to completely avoid punishment. And how about you, Alan? Yeah, I agree. I don't like it when people get away with murder. When we use the expression to get away with murder, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are talking about killing someone. We often use it when someone has done whatever they want and avoided the consequences. I mean, yes, we can use this term when we talk about a crime like Alan did, but also when we talk about everyday activities. For example, my daughter has a way of doing dodgy things without anyone suspecting her. She is only five, but can get away with murder already. Claire's daughter, at the age of five, already knows how to avoid the consequences. I also like to binge on fictional detective stories. That is, crime stories that are not true, but have been written to entertain us. Especially when a detective has a big moral dilemma. That is, he or she faces a situation where they have to make a difficult choice, where it's not easy to know which option is the best. Speaking of choices, I have a crime riddle for you. Picture this. It's a sunny Thursday morning in a little town, when the postman discovers the murder of an old man who lived alone in a remote cottage. The police arrives at the scene, and they find two bottles of milk, Monday's papers, unopened mail, and a plumber's flyer. Who is the suspect? I like a mystery that has everyone racking their brains. If a crime has everyone racking their brains, it is extremely difficult to solve. We could also describe it like this. The case is puzzling, complex and there is no clear evidence that the detectives can use to solve it. Our case is puzzling, but there is some evidence we can use. The police found two bottles of milk, Monday's papers, unopened mail, and a plumber's flyer. That has to tell us something. We need to connect the dots. I love it when strategic thinking pays off in the end. 
To connect the dots means to put the pieces of evidence together and analyze the whole picture they make. So, we also know that the murder was discovered on Thursday, right? Hmm. Alan also said... I love it when strategic thinking pays off in the end. Strategic thinking is thinking that it's logical. So we say that strategic thinking pays off in the end when logical thinking leads to a successful result. In our case, let's see how we can apply some strategic thinking. So, the murder was discovered on Thursday. And at the crime scene, we have two bottles of milk, unopened mail, Monday's papers, and the plumber's flyer. So who's the suspect? The postman who discovered the body? The plumber who left his flyer behind? I don't think so, because I'm wondering why there was no paper delivery on Tuesday and Wednesday. How did they know not to deliver them? Also, there are two bottles of milk, and the body was found on Thursday. Hmm, who's your suspect? The postman, plumber, or newspaper or milk delivery person? I'll let you know at the end of this episode. Now, let's talk to someone who has spent years looking into the darkest corners of Sydney's crime scene. Emily is an expert on true crime with knowledge of Sydney's grim past. No one knows more about it than she does. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for having me. Are there human bodies buried inside the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Well, they've never actually confirmed it. Yes, so there were actually a number of reported deaths during the bridge's construction, 16 actually, and these happened in a variety of different ways. There were some quite gruesomely decapitations, um, some falls from the top of the bridge, some loss of limbs, etc. But the story goes that there were three unreported deaths. So one evening they were working on one of the original four stone pylons of the bridge and they had an accident and fell in. Now, because they were homeless, they weren't noticed missing for several weeks. So by the time their bodies were found, it was deemed too difficult to retrieve them. So they remain entombed in the bridge to this day. And how did you become so knowledgeable of a true crime from Sydney's past? So I uh, actually, the day that I moved to Sydney, I got a job for a true crime tour company. So as part of my job, I actually take groups of people around different locations in Sydney and I tell them about the crimes that happened. Uh, The Rocks was really the first area that was built up in Sydney. So there was a lot of uh, pubs and some other establishments as well, which I might not name, uh, where lots of sailors would go. Um, and as you can imagine, a lot of drink, there was a lot of crime as a result of that. So lots of disappearances, lots of bodies being found in boxes. Uh, it was not really a great place to be for a while if you valued your health. So when was this? This was really from when Sydney um, was first founded, so 1788, up until about the end of, well, the start of the 20th century. That was really when there were lots of gangs roaming about, particularly at the end of the 19th century and the start of the 20th. There was what was called the Rocks Push Gang, which was made up of larrikins. They were the male members and donners. And then the Razor Gangs came about after that. So, uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of crime. A lot of violence throughout those years. A lot, yes. Let's now practice useful phrases from this episode. See if you remember the meaning before hearing the answer. 
What does it mean when someone is cooking the books? If someone is cooking the books, it means they are using accounting tricks to make the financial data of a company look better than it really is. What does it mean to get off scot-free? To get off scot-free means to completely avoid punishment. What is a close call? A close call is when someone narrowly avoids or barely escapes something negative. Now let's practice our pronunciation by repeating after Alan and Claire. Have you ever witnessed a crime? I had a close call once. I don't like it when people get away with murder. They have a way of bending the rules. Someone was cooking the books. It's an open and shut case. For more phrases, vocabulary and learning notes, visit our website where you can test your listening and understanding skills with our quiz. And you know how I told you I'll reveal the answer from the crime riddle? Well, if you don't know the answer yet and you really want to know, you are going to have to check it out on our Facebook page. My bet is on the newspaper person, but who knows? Reach out. We are SBS Learn English. I'm Josipa. Thank you for learning English with me. Learning English can change your life. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and visit our website for learning notes and transcripts.